Welcome to episode four of Kindling Kindness. I'm your host, Daniela Batista, and today I'll be interviewing my first guest, my father and 9-11 survivor, Anthony. I've decided to put a warning on this episode as things may get intense and deep. I'd like to introduce everybody to my father, Anthony Batista. He is a 9-11 survivor. Dad? My name is Anthony Batista. I worked at the World Trade Center, North Tower. The date was September 11th, 2001. Okay. And can you give us a little backstory of how you wound up at the World Trade Center, Tower One? Sure. Uh, in December of 1997, we were advised that uh, Empire Blue Cross was going for profit and that the building was sold. Our senior vice president at the time was Gloria McCarthy. She and several other VPs had went to the World Trade Center. Uh, she was given two options. We Blue Cross and Blue Shield had requested 10 floors. They had 10 floors in succession, but were in the mid-80s to the 90s. She did not want her people that high, so she was given another option, which she was told that do, they do have 10 floors, not in succession, from the 20s to the 30s. She advised the CEO at the time, Michael Stocker, and she had told him that she had made the deal for the 10 floors, not in succession with the 20s and 30s. So she purposely chose the floors that were lower in case of something happening. That's correct. She was not comfortable with her people being that high. So basically, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today. Well, let me tell you this. It gets me every time just knowing that and hearing that. It's unbelievable. Um, so your first day officially working in the World Trade Center Tower One was when? January 5th, 1998. Okay. And... Let's fast forward a little bit to um, September 11th, 2001, uh, 20 years ago. Do you remember how you started the day? Sure. Woke up 5.30 as I did every morning, went in for a little bit of overtime. So I got up at 5.30 a.m., left the house at 6, took the 5 train downtown to Fulton Street, Walked two blocks to the back of the tower, which was Broadway. Entered the building at 7, started working, and I worked a little bit of overtime. Okay, so by the time you got there, um, it was 7 a.m.? That's correct. It was 7 o'clock. And then what happened? So you started working immediately? Yeah, uh, took a few minutes. I had my coffee. I always got a cup of coffee and a donut at a cart that was outside. Uh, read my paper for a couple of minutes and then started working. 
Okay. And then your boss, I know, had asked you and another coworker to bring something to another floor. That's correct. There was another department that was at the floor above us, which was, I believe, the 22nd floor. She asked us to take some moving boxes upstairs, which we did. So it was approximately 8.45, which I don't know that why I looked at my watch, but I looked at my watch. It was 8.45. We waited for the elevator, took the elevator to the next floor, walked about 30 feet, opened the doors, put the boxes down. I would say five seconds later, then the building started to shake. We heard a big bang. Building started to shake. We grabbed hold we basically grabbed onto something which was the cubicle because the building was starting to shake at first we thought it was an earthquake but then when we looked out the windows we saw all this debris on fire and paper and stuff flying all over the place so at that point you knew that it wasn't an earthquake but you knew that there was something wrong. Right. We knew something hit the building, but we didn't know what. Okay. Um, now, you had just gotten out of the elevator. That's correct. So it was about... I would say 15, 20 seconds. So had you not gotten out when you did, you would have been in the elevator with your coworker. Correct. And... The elevators at that point, once the plane hit, the wires were severed. Correct. The wire, the cables to the elevators, I believe two sections of the elevators basically collapsed to the lobby. So they, the wires were severed, right? Cables were severed and everything just crashed and exploded in the lobby. Correct. Wow. Yeah, because we had one co-worker who was in the lobby at the time waiting for an elevator once the elevator crashed he he got blown on the vessi side through the glass and landed in one of the gigantic flower pots that was surrounded the world trade to use as barricades so he wound up because of the force he wound up through the glass outside the building correct Oy. um okay so once you actually felt the the building shake and it stopped and you looked and there was debris falling down, then what did you do next? Uh, there was a girl there who had gotten a phone call from possibly her husband or her boyfriend, I don't know, and she was told that the pl- a plane had hit the building. She didn't say what type of plane. So what we did was everybody basically started going to the stairwell. Before I went to the stairwell, I tried to make a phone call, which I basically got through. And I called your grandmother, who my mother-in-law, and called her. She picked up the phone. I told her, Ma, we got hit by a plane. And um, going now to the stairs to get out. She had told me later on when I had gotten home that night that when she got up, she proceeded to the kitchen to make her coffee. Before she 
put on the pot of coffee. She turned on the television set in the kitchen and she saw the second plane hit the South Tower. So you had just gotten off the phone with her, told her that you were trying to get out. You were going to start heading down the stairs. And then later on, she wound up saying that she turned on the news and saw the actual plane hit the South Tower. Right. She didn't get up right away. She said she waited about 10 minutes, then got up, went into the kitchen, turned on the TV, and that's when she saw the second plane hit the South Tower. Okay. Now, when the South Tower was hit, where were you? I was on the stairwell going down, and we heard a little bit of rumbling. We didn't know what it was, so we still proceeded down the stairs. We were then told to evacuate the stairs, so whichever floor you were close to, to to get off at that floor because the firemen had to go up the stairs. So I got off on the 10th floor, waited for, I would say, a good half hour before we were advised then to proceed back down the stairs. Before I went to the stairs, I started smelling the smoke. So I looked for a sink, not knowing or not realizing to go to the bathroom. I rolled up, I found a sink, I rolled up some paper towels, ran it under cold water, and basically put the, the paper towels over my face. Um. So you, in that state of shock and everything, you just look, you started looking for a sink instead of saying, let me head to the bathroom so that I could find a sink and paper towels. And- right. I didn't realize that every floor had uh, a bathroom, which basically every floor did. But at that point with the shock, I just started looking for a sink. And I don't know how I found one, but I found a sink, rolled up a bunch of paper towels, wet them under cold water, tied them around my face, and I proceeded to the stairs. Okay. And then once you started to go back down the stairs, um, what was it like going down the stairs? Was it organized, chaotic? How would you kind of describe the stairs? It was basically chaotic. And the stairs were not that wide for the amount of people that worked at the World Trade. It was only basically five feet wide, which is basically you can only fit two people at a time side by side. When it first proceeded down the stairs, other people from the upper floors were coming down. So we basically had to squeeze in. And I remember this one man who was basically covered in dust. And the lady behind him was walking with her arms in front of her. Basically, her arms were burnt and singed. And her skin was basically peeling like a banana. Oh, my God. So she was obviously very injured. And was there any firefighter or anyone who was able to attend to her at that point or did she just have to keep going at that point no because the firemen were going up so basically she had to keep going down 
so her co-worker was with her in front of her. I believe they made it out. When I got back on the ninth floor, there was an older woman next to me. And she kept saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. So I told her I would help her down. She goes, but how? Because I just can't walk anymore. I said to her, just close your eyes and pray. I picked her up. I put her over my shoulder and I took her down the rest of the way to the lobby. When we hit the sixth floor, there was just pouring water gushing down the stairs. I got to the lobby, handed her off to a policeman who was there, and I told him, here, she needs medical help. I proceeded through the court underground where all the stores and shops were, and basically all the windows on every shop basically was just blown out. I proceeded to the Broadway side, which a lot of people probably recall that there was an escalator that had three clocks on the wall with three different time zones. We proceeded up those stairs of the escalator. Naturally, we had to walk them because the escalators were out. Okay, so I want to backtrack a little bit. This part of the story... Obviously, I have known for years, um, which was the story of you carrying the lady on your back. Um, Obviously, in a time of a lot of chaos and fear, which I'm sure everybody, including you, um, everybody was very scared and didn't know what was kind of going to happen next. You took time out of your safety basically to assist somebody else do you that that shocks me every it doesn't shock me because i know the type of person you are but it's unbelievable to me um because that's one of the most heroic things that i've heard um what at that point was going through your mind like what drew you to helping this woman? I felt bad for her. So I, I, till this day, I don't know how calm I was. I was not in panic. I was not in shock. I basically was myself. I just said, I had, I have to help this lady. I'm not going to leave her here. I just had to help her down the stairs. Okay. So you knew that you were younger, obviously, than she was and that you were stronger um, at that point. And clearly she had said that she couldn't, for whatever reason, make it anymore. Maybe fear, maybe pain from lay, you know, in her legs or whatever it was. And so you told her that you would carry her down the other nine stories. Correct. And you achieved that. Yeah, it was basically an adrenaline rush. Yeah, that fight or flight response. So you hand her off now. You get out, right? What happens next? 
Well, like I said, I continued to walk, basically walking on glass. When we got to the escalator with the three clocks, we got to the top of the escalator. There were police officers at the revolving doors. We were told to go through the revolving doors, walk along the left side of the building, and do not look up. And now you didn't know why they said to not look up. Correct. So naturally, as anybody would, when you're told not to do something, you do it. And so you looked up. Correct. Your first response is, okay, they told me not to look up. Why? So I walked along the side of the building. After I passed the building, I looked up and the police officer was right. I should have never looked up. So at that point, you were seeing people. Yeah, jumping. And those were people that were above the fire line who knew basically that there was really no other way for them to get out. Yeah, it was either to be in that type of situation, I'm going to jump because I don't want to burn to death. That's a heck of a decision to make. But I will never, never forget the sound of when they hit the floor. That is etched in my memory forever. I cannot even imagine what you and anybody else witnessed that day because obviously, you know, you can say it, explain it, try, but nothing is really going to ever, you know, amount to the kind of trauma that everybody faced that day yeah to 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 see that i wouldn't wish that on anybody um so you started walking then past the building and how far did you get until the South Tower collapsed. I proceeded to walk across Broadway, got to City Hall Park, stayed at City Hall Park, and basically we were watching the buildings on fire. Then I would say about 10 minutes later, I looked up at the South Tower, saw the tower tilt to the left we heard a creak and then the south tower just started to collapse so it was actually audible from where you were correct and that was clearly like what about 12 minutes after you had gotten out of the north tower correct around 10 12 minutes okay and then you started running. Yeah, I just turned around and started running and didn't look back. And the cloud of dust and debris and everything 
never never got you. No, never did. So you were far enough away, thank God, that you were not engulfed in all of that. Right. I just ran and didn't look back or stop. I just kept running. Okay. And then do you remember where you were when the North Tower fell? Because the North Tower fell like 13 minutes later. About? Uh, I would say I don't remember, but I was walking up Broadway. Uh, I'm sorry. I was walking up Park Avenue. And Park Avenue, normally in Manhattan, you hear horns, you hear talking. There was no sounds at all. All you heard were car radios with the news. People were just sitting on the sidewalk, sitting next to the curb, and basically in shock. I turned around because from Park Avenue, you could see the towers. When I turned around and I realized the South Tower fell because I the North Tower because I didn't see it anymore. So you weren't able to hear the North Tower fall and you didn't see it fall. But then when you turned to see what was going on, the other tower was no longer there. Right. So your building had actually fallen. Right. And when I turned around, then I realized that the North Tower had collapsed. I don't know when. Okay. So elapsed time. Right. Elapsed time. Yeah. Um, so you realize that your building fell and you're on Park Avenue. Now, what's your next move? Were you by yourself? At that time, I was by myself, so what I did was I walked toward Grand Central Station. When I got to Grand Central Station, we were advised that no trains were running. So I decided to go and walk to the express bus. But what I wanted to do first was to see if my cousin was working. At the time, he worked at the Plaza Hotel as a locksmith. When I got to the plaza, I needed to go to the bathroom. Specifically, the doormen or the security were advised that no one was allowed in the hotel without giving their name or their key number on for their room. So you needed to use the bathroom. And because the city was basically under lockdown, nobody... They were they were not allowed to let anybody in unless they were a uh, unless they had a room there. Correct. Unless they were an employee or worked there, okay. but they had to show proof. So it was either give your name where they could look it up on the record, or provide them with the room key. Okay, and you, in essence, were you couldn't use the restroom there. That's correct. Okay. So fast forward a little more, you realize that the trains aren't running, the buses aren't running. No, the buses were running, but they didn't know when the buses were going to come. At the time, it was the New York bus service before the MTA took over the, uh, the uh, express bus service. I walked to 
59, 60th Street. I'm sorry, 60th Street and Madison Avenue. And I was at the bus stop for Morris Park. And I was there with four other ladies. The supervisor of the bus service said, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is the buses are running, but we don't know when they're going to get here. The bad news is they will not go beyond Manhattan because all the bridges and tunnels were closed. So New York at that point had shut down all bridges and tunnels. So whoever needed to cross the bridge needed to walk. Right. Um, And I believe the ferry was running. Correct. The Staten Island ferry. And then there was other ferries. There was the circle line and other boats that were taking people from lower Manhattan to either Staten Island or Jersey. So, um, so other boats essentially were offering. They were offering their help to get people uh, out of Manhattan. Okay. So again, very nice thing to do in a time when the city that everybody lived in um, was struggling and in very big distress. Correct. Um, Now you could not get on the ferry because you didn't live in Staten Island or New Jersey. So how did you wind up getting to where you needed to go? Okay. Uh, Once we were told that the four ladies and myself, we started walking up Madison Avenue and we just kept walking and walking. And one of the, one of the ladies had a cell phone with her. She kept trying to call, I believe it was her cousin. She wasn't getting through. She wasn't getting through. We finally got to East Harlem, which was 106th Street and Madison Avenue. People basically were giving the people that were walking, they were just giving out water, which I had never seen before in my life. So everybody was kind of trying to do their part during, uh, like we said, a time of much distress and just trying to do little things that they could to help. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was in shock the way the, city, the, the way the city came together. The people of the city came together. It was, it was unbelievable. So we continued to walk. We got to 100, I think it was 100 and... 35th Street or 145th Street in Madison Avenue. We walked over the bridge, and when we got to the bridge, when we got past the bridge, we saw all these cars and trucks and taxis, people piling on them with the truck doors, with the back doors of the trucks open, people just piling in. And I remember getting on the back of a dump truck. So I was sitting on sand, and it was a construction dump truck, and there was five other gentlemen sitting there, and they were drinking beer. And I joined them. I sat down, and I still had my Blue Cross Blue Shield ID badge along with my World Trade Center ID badge. And then one of the one of the workers looked at me and he saw my badge and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He goes, you, 
work down there? I said, yeah. He goes, were you in the building? I said, yeah. I said, I worked in the North Tower. He opened his cooler and handed me a beer. And he said, yeah, you need this more than I do. So basically, at that point, I took him up on his offer and I drank a beer. So, you know, the just hearing all of the 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 kindness that came out of the tragedy or that was a result of the tragedy, um, boats giving rides, cars and trucks and taxi cabs giving rides to people who needed to cross uh, you know, who had crossed the bridge, who needed to get home. Um, and even the, the simple act of kindness of offering you a beer. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, tasted good at that point. Cause I, I didn't realize how thirsty I was, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I took him up and I drank the beer. So they wound up giving you a ride to, um, they didn't drive you all the way home, but they drove you a good portion of the way. They drove me to Bronxdale Avenue and Morris Park Avenue. Okay. And then at that point you saw our cousin and our cousin took you the rest of the right. way. Right. At that point, at that point, I walked about one block. The adrenaline started wearing off and I just, I, I my legs couldn't walk anymore. I then saw uh, my wife's cousin. She was in a car. I asked her if she could take me the rest of the way home, which she said absolutely. So I got in the car, and she basically took me the rest of the way home. Okay, so you get home, and now what happens once you get home, once I got home, I saw mommy at the top of the stairs with our neighbor and her brother. I got out of the car. I didn't say a word. I just walked up to mommy, fell on my knees, grabbed her by the legs and just cried my eyes out. I asked mommy where the girls were she went inside and you came out first then your sister came out and that was it i was just glad to be home yeah I, we are definitely very blessed um you know in that moment and i was very young at that point i was nine um, and so I knew something wasn't right, but I really didn't understand the gravity of it. Um, so as the years have passed, now it's the 20th anniversary as the years have gone. Um, I basically, for me, it was understanding more and more every year, um, so I would say as I got to be maybe 13 years old, I, I feel like that's when I really knew the tragedy of everything and how many people were 
taken on that day and how many um, survivors there have been and how many um, just just how much impact it's had on everybody. Um, so I think for me, that's the hardest part because I also had you, you know, and, and your account of everything. So I knew your story, um, obviously at an age appropriate level. Um, and so through the years, I just understood more and more of your story, but then I also had to, I, I became aware of everybody else's stories also. Um, and we actually know, um, a fallen firefighter. Yeah. A friend of mine, Thomas Lynch, uh, lost his brother, Michael Francis Lynch. He was, a uh, worked for the fire department. He worked in the Bronx engine 62 ladder 32, but was on rotation that day in a firehouse in Manhattan. So uh, he was he was originally not in the firehouse permanently that he was working for on that day. Correct. He switched with some other individual, so they rotated. So that in the individual that he took over, he worked his shift, and that individual was supposed to work his shift. Wow. So, um, you know, just thinking of, of all of the, the lives that were taken that day. And, and, and there's also another firefighter friend of ours. Uh, his name is Tony Ziola. He basically ended up with, I believe it was thyroid cancer. So he had some surgery, uh, chemo. Thank God he's cancer free. He's now retired. He worked at Squad 61 in the Bronx on Williamsbridge Road. So he um, wound up with illness due to the 9-11, um, all the, the, air, the air quality and the debris. Right, the toxic smoke and debris, yes. Um, so again, keeping everybody in our thoughts and, and prayers, all of the victims and survivors, um, you know, on the 20th anniversary, especially. Now, one thing that I remember very vividly was, um, from the first year. Um, and I don't, did you actually, I don't know if you actually started doing this on the day after or the week after, September 11th, 2001. But I know that you used to do something every year on the anniversary. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I felt obligated to the fire department, also the police department, but most in particular, the fire department. So what I did basically for 10 years was on the morning of September 11th, I would go to church, I would visit memorials, then I would go to a deli, I would buy bread, rolls, fresh mozzarella, cold cuts, and I would drop it off at the firehouse, Squad 61. That was my appreciation for 
all they do, all they did, and all that they sacrificed. So in your grieving, because that's basically what it is and still is for everybody, um, your way of coping was through acts of service. Correct. It made me, it made me feel better. I knew I had to do something. I just didn't know what to do. But then I knew, I know firefighters love to eat. So I said, what better way than give them Italian food, cold cuts, mozzarella, and let them just pig out for the day. Right. And so Italian, us being Italian, um, a, a big way that we show love and appreciation and gratitude is through food. Um, so that's why it, you, you know, put the culture and the firefighting together. Um, and that's what you decided to do. And did that help you? Yes, it did. It, it helped me. It made me, it made me more relaxed and it made me feel better that I did something. So in, in a time where nobody really had control over much, you felt like that was your way of, of doing something like taking it into your own hands and going out there and showing appreciation for the hard work and the sacrifice and to show your, your gratitude. Yeah. Giving back for what they did and for what they sacrificed. Excellent. I mean, and that is a testament to you and I think it's part of the reason why I am so um, passionate about helping others and giving back because I saw that my whole life um, from a very, very young age, even from before that, but especially that. And so to see you and know what you had been through and what he, we had been through as a family. Um, and then to see you take that and go and share love and go spread love and appreciation to people that you knew, firefighters who were helping the city at that point um, and who still do. It showed me that you need to pay it forward and you know, you knew that you were blessed to still be here. You had been kind for my whole life. You carried this older woman down the stairs um, in a very traumatic and chaotic situation and it basically saved her life because she probably would not have gone down the stairs without you. Probably not. I don't know. So, you know, heroes come in, in many forms and, uh, you're definitely mine. And, uh, and so, you know, so I am calling you to action. I think we both should call them to action. What do you think? Yeah. Why not? So today and tomorrow, whatever you can do to pay it forward, 
Maybe it's to visit the firehouse with cold cuts and rolls, or maybe it's to visit the doctors, nurses, wherever, or just randomly. Just be kind. Show it in your own way. And what better way to make yourself feel better and to make others feel better as well. So on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, my father and I are calling you all to action. So actually go out there and do something kind, no matter what it is. It could be the smallest thing. It could be donations, whatever it is. Just do something. Right. You see a you see a police officer in the street, stop and say, thank you for what you do. Even if it's just going to a firehouse, passing by, if you see them, if you see the doors open, you see them outside, say thank you. Thank you means a lot more than the words. Right. So thank you for doing this for me, daddy with me and for sharing your story. Um, to all of the listeners out there, um, just go pay it forward. My dad said it best. Thank you is more than just words. Um, you can follow at Kindling Kindness Pod on Instagram. And I will see you in the next episode. I love you, Daddy. Love you, too. Thank you. You're welcome. And... Uh, And our thoughts and prayers are with everybody. Have a great day, people. Enjoy it because life's too short. We acknowledge the victims who lost their lives on this day 20 years ago, the brave men and women on the front line who sacrificed their lives that day to help those in need, and the men and women who serve our country every day in order to protect our country from terrorism and protect our freedom. May God bless all of you, your families, friends, and our survivors. And may God bless America.